Hello everyone, Ryan with Sound of Play, just hopping in quickly before the recording today, which is a good show with one of the good friends of the show coming back and having a nice chat uh, to apologize ahead of time because there was a problem with today's recording. And like all podcast problems, it was caused by Skype. Yes, unfortunately, the wrong audio source was recorded on my side. So while Joe is going to sound great on his end, unfortunately, my audio is going to sound terrible. So I just wanted to apologize for that beforehand. Let's get to the show. Try not to let that take away from the fun. And we'll be back to normal next week. Sorry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Canada Rinse Sound of Play 211. <laughs> on the play we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the mini video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades joining me ryan Heyman, in sound of play 211 is our friend that we've heard before in sound of play 188 that was more of a uh more of an interview this is going to be a little bit more of just a kickback jam session so to speak um our friend joe sua of the materia collective hey hey everybody it's great to be back ryan thanks for having me back Hey, so it's it's good to hear from you again. Of course, we got um, we got some background on you last time you were on, but it was a little while ago. So, um, why don't we kind of give a refresher as to kind of who you are, what you do, and maybe like what you've been working on since the last time you were on the show? Okay, uh, so um, I am a composer and sound designer for video games, and uh, I'm also a gamer myself. Um, and uh, yeah, I love uh, writing lots of like fantasy music and, and different things like that. Um, heavily inspired by, uh, you know, Japanese composers. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of uh, what I do. That's that is that's my day job. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm also a member of Materia Collective. 
and we are a group of composers and musicians, singers, uh, and we get together and we do arrangement albums uh, for our favorite soundtracks. And uh, yeah, so that's a little bit about me. As far as uh, what I've been working on since then, we actually just released, uh, we being Materia Collective, we just released um, a new album called Eidolon. Um, or Adelon. I always struggle with that pronunciation. <laughs> it's an arrangement album for Final Fantasy IX, and uh, it is amazing. Um, everybody did such a great job. As per usual, I recently had a contribution to that project with my friend uh, Jordan Chen. He's a really talented guy. I mean, this guy. You, you'll hear you'll hear his name, or you'll see his name throughout the album because he. Uh, he's a amazing guitarist. He's a great drummer. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's just a great guy overall. So we did it. So, <laughs> um, outside of that, just, you know, just working, um, working on a couple of games at, at, um, at my job, which for those who didn't uh, catch, uh, sound to play 188, I work at a, uh, a developer called Grover Gaming. Uh, located in uh, Greenville, North Carolina. So, yeah, like we we do casino style games, um, slots games, and pull tabs and things like that. And uh, yeah, so uh, we we're, we're currently uh, working on some of that stuff now. But that's just a little bit, just to get you caught up. I'm always really interested in talking to people that are a part of these kind of bigger groups, whether it's Materia Collective or Overclocked Remix, because I just love these, this idea of, of collaborative music making and, you know, for it to not be such like an isolated activity. Uh, it's cool when there's, you know, different minds to bounce ideas off of and, and that kind of thing. So it's just, uh, it's an exciting space and I'm glad that the internet is connecting people to do that. Oh, I couldn't agree more these groups, whether it's a OC remix or material collective, um, and there are others, these com- they're, they're communities. And it's really about like everyone sharing this love for game music. And that's a very, uh, it's very intimate and, and personal thing for me. Cause you know, I like, you know, probably many of us, we grew up with games. We grew up with, you know, the imaginations of these creative people, you know, all around the world. And it, that's the thing that unites us and us being musicians and, uh, you know, and singers and everything coming together. It's just, you're going to create gold and (laughs) it's just going (laughs) to happen. So yeah, I'm, I'm really thankful that, you know, um, we've, we, we just have minds of our generation who have thought to, to bring these groups together, you know, and that I'm able to be a part of it. Uh, so you spoke about one of the collaborators on the recent album, and uh, I guess I got me curious, uh, do you typically collaborate more with musicians to kind of perform the things that you are um, writing as a, as a composer or an arranger, or do you, um, do you ever uh, collaborate with other composers that help kind of create on the more, I don't know what you would call it. It's all the creative side on more of like the writing structural side of things. Oh, well, no, I, I, I get what you, I get where you're coming from. Um, it's like, I do a bit of both lately, I guess, because of the, the nature of my job, um, time is always short. So, um, like I tend to do a lot of the work myself and it's also, you know, I find that a, a great opportunity to learn about the instruments themselves because I use a lot of like virtual instrument libraries and stuff. 
I'm, I actually take some time out to, to study, you know, it could be something uh, like a video on YouTube about how a particular instrument is performed. I tend to do a lot of that myself, but when I do have time um, or it's a requirement of a project, I definitely do collaborate. With this particular project, uh, Adelon, it was actually a requirement of the project. We had to uh, co-produce a track. We also, it was interesting because we had a shorter uh, time frame to do that in. And uh, interestingly, Jordan, uh, Jordan Chin, he's actually on the other side. <laughs> he's on the West Coast. Uh, he's out in California. And I'm like all the way over here in North Carolina. So just, and you know, both of us work full time and everything. So that was very, it was an awesome learning experience as well as just being just downright fun. Because like I said, he's a great person to work with. But yeah, like I try to, I try to work with musicians where I can. Um, because I feel that that's where the soul of music really lies. You you will never have a virtual instrument replace a musician. Like it just, you just, you can't. It's just like trying to use a machine to emulate someone who's breathing. You know, there's an organic element to it that you just cannot reproduce. So uh, this first track that we listened to coming into the show was a piece from one of the recent Fire Emblem games, which is back in uh, public consciousness again. Uh, not that it's ever too far away, of course. It's the well-loved series that's been running, uh, gosh, ever since the NES, I believe. It's been a, a long, long-running series. Um, Famicom, mm -hmm. I should say. Yeah. Because uh, it was Japanese. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's gotten a recent new addition to the series, a new member in the family. With that, why don't you kind of go into your history on uh, Fire Emblem Fates? I understand this one comes from Conquest, according to the YouTube link that you provided. Is that right? Yeah, so this one is from Conquest. And I have only gotten the chance to play um, a bit of Conquest. And that's because I was, I was actually borrowing um, a 3DS from a friend. It, it, it's interesting because as I was like playing it and getting into it, you know, I didn't get a chance to spend as much time as I wanted to because I had to give it back. But um, <laughs> but with the little time that I did spend with it, like I was immediately just in, enraptured by the music, and I went and bought the soundtrack, like all eight discs, like <laughs> almost mm, wow. immediately. And uh, yeah, as so you know, as sad to say, I, I didn't really get a chance to feel out the story and everything. And I know that there's things up on YouTube I could have watched, but I, I didn't want to do that because I was like, I want to play it. I want to feel yeah. the game. Going through the soundtrack really, I mean, it, it's almost like you can visualize what's happening in the game based upon the music. Hmm. And uh, as I was going through each of them, I got to Condemnation and I like lost it because I was like, <laughs> it, there's, this, there's this little element in there where it sounds like a voice, but it also sounds like an instrument. Um, and it's kind mm. of woven into, I guess, the second part of the melody or something. And it's almost it almost has like a haunting quality to it. And that's the reason why I had to, I was like, I, I got to share this with Ryan because it's <laughs> this is so great. Yeah, I was really surprised by this track. Uh, you know, I've, I've played a few Fire Emblems before. I'm not like a like a major series expert or anything like that. Uh, and then, of course, I'm familiar with the music as it's come through uh, Super Smash Bros. over the years. But mm -hmm. 
this piece kind of caught me by surprise because it didn't really meet my expectations of what Fire Emblem music was supposed to be. Like, I always picture more kind of like grand, almost kind of Dragon Quest-y type of music that's, mm. uh, you know, kind of regal and big, where this one's like real kind of like scrappy and uh, energetic and a real roller coaster of a ride. It's uh, it's really exciting. And I, I, really, I really like this one. I think that is one of the things about fire emblem fates like the the because the the three i think it's uh what birthright um it's birthright conquest and then can't remember the last one uh the third yeah, that one. one came out afterwards is kind of like a reconciliation type of story i believe yeah 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 it's it's uh and they actually have broken down the music in mm-hmm. the order that you i guess would play that okay there's like with uh birthright which is uh which is based around the uh, I guess it's the Japanese. Uh, when you see them, they look like they all look like samurai, you know. Um, but the music mm-hmm. there is very like traditional uh, Japanese music mixed with orchestral music, and so it has its own like cultural quality to it, which makes it unique. And it's cool to see how they uh, implement that same energy that you heard in Condemnation into that. But then the other side, I think it's uh, I think. The family's called Noir or something like that, but mm-hmm. they are based around Europe, and so they look more like knights and uh, it's in like a medieval European setting. The music is Celtic music fused with orchestral music, so it's like <laughs> it's like you're getting these two really um, dynamic cultural influences mixed cool. with the orchestra and then thrown into the soundtrack. It's really cool. Are there times where they intermix as well? Yeah, actually, um, the tie-in that you're going to hear woven throughout the soundtrack is uh, Lost in Thoughts All Alone. And it's mm. the it's essentially this song sang by, um, I think her name is Az- Azura, mm-hmm. but she's the she's a character that she has blue hair and she, she looks like mm-hmm. a, a priestess or a maiden or something. But that song, the melody to that, you will hear woven into... Uh, the different uh, the different pieces and there's a specific track that um, I'm trying to find it now but um, there's a specific track that happens like I guess toward the end of the game uh, it's called end of all so uh, you know for you guys in the audience if you wanted to check it out the track is called end of all and it will weave in elements of both families both houses mm. um, the Japanese side and like the Celtic side into this track it's it's so good. <laughs> I mean, as far as like a battle, a battle type track, uh, it's it's so unique. Uh, it's just so unique. So um, I cannot recommend that track or the whole soundtrack anymore. Like than I have, it's so good. That uh, I think that opening track was as good a commercial for for this soundtrack as any. Um, I'll, I'll definitely be seeking out more of that i uh i do like a bit of fire emblem music (laughs) it will not disappoint you i promise ryan (laughs) this next piece that we're going to listen to is a piece from a game called uh cyberior medium unit which is a vertically scrolling shooter i believe it's not one that i have myself spent time with but in particular this is from an arrangement album kind of a set of remixes that was put out in 2008 as opposed to the game itself which debuted on arcades in the year 2000. I just really love the jazziness and the the it's it's a real chill really kind of danceable 
track. Uh, it's just got like a really good, it's a really good attitude to it. <laughs> uh, it's called Earth FM Scene Mix by Zinger and Bacter. Yeah, see, that's one of those tracks that I could sit and listen to for a while. And I, I can't do that with all chip tune music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That one's like yeah, that feel one's good. Real Ooh. funky. It's got some like nice, um, got some nice like non-chip instruments in there to kind of like m- make the sound a little bit more approachable for people that aren't like super into the chip stuff. Yeah, it's that plus like the there are these progressions. Um, mm-hmm. You can tell that the artist was influenced by like the Japanese sound and the sound mm-hmm. of the 80s in general. Because mm. it sounds like 80s, uh, Japanese 80s pop. It has like these different chord progressions that like you hear the Japanese use all the time. <laughs> so interesting. I don't know that much about Japanese eighties pop music. I'm curious. Uh, what is the, what is this like prevailing style? I, I mean that it's, it's hugely reductionistic to try to uh, encapsulate an entire country's uh, decade long music into like one style, but like, Oh, how would you describe it musically? Well, it's interesting because um, there's a historical element there. Um, so during the 80s, um, I think it's like 70s and 80s, um, there were a lot of uh, African-American jazz musicians mm-hmm. who uh, went over to Japan. Mm-hmm. When they went over there, they were playing in the clubs and everything like that. And the music that they brought over, the the R&B, the soul, because, you know, mm-hmm. during the 70s and 80s, you had funk, funk music, yeah, um, yeah. like you said, uh, like jazz and, you know, soul music. So all of those, uh, I guess, Afrocentric uh, genres mixed together with uh, Japan. That's why you'll hear like the Japanese are really the reason why I paid so much attention to them is because they understand the concept of stealing like an artist you Mm -hmm. know they they literally absorb everything and find ways to integrate that into their their playing style so in nintendo for example like a lot of the mario games it has a lot of samba has bossa nova it has uh, a lot of latin styles Mm -hmm. mario is known for that (laughs) Mm -hmm. um the mar the music of uh, mario is known for the latin-y kind of stuff Likewise, with Sonic, Sonic is like Sonic 1, Sonic 2. It's, very, it's really funky. I mean, all the way up to mm-hmm. like Sonic and Knuckles. And even after that, it's like really funky music. 80s, uh, the Japanese 80s sound is a mixture of, it's a mixture of funk. It's a mixture of R&B and soul. But it's just done with, I guess, through the filter or lens of the Japanese person. The Japanese tend to use um, major seven, major nine, uh, excuse me, major, minor, seventh and ninth and eleventh chords and stuff like that. And they have a certain tonal quality to them. And you will hear them used most often in jazz, (laughs) like almost indefinitely. Jazz, American um, R&B, soul music you'll hear those because they they have a they have almost like a a mystical quality to them i love them Mm. personally very good earth fmc mix from siberia medium unit
This next track is a request from the forum. It comes from Gravity Rush 2 uh, from Simon Sloth on the forum who says, if you ever do an elevator music or jazz special, I'd love for this to be included. So smarmy and slinky. And uh, that's, uh, that's a pretty good description, I think, of this piece from Gravity Rush 2. Uh, how did uh, how did this one strike you when you first heard it? Well, first of all, the way that it starts, it has this uh, like dun 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 dun. It has this mm-hmm. like f- like fifties rock kind, yeah, of, kind feel of summer to place it. type of uh, yeah. chords to it. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, it's it's playful. It's mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like I, I I loved it. I mean, I think that I think that's the obvious point, but. Um, uh, the way that the strings kind of come in uh, and they kind of like soar and everything like I really uh, this is uh, one of those types of pieces that I would like to study. Mm. You know, fun fact um, about Tanaka-san uh, is um, if I if I have my my information correct, he actually is the composer for uh, One Piece. Could be mm. wrong about that, but I know that he composed on one of the Gravity Rush albums and um yeah he is he specializes in that style of 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 composing where he is bringing in like elements of like the 50s and 60s so it didn't surprise me to hear that piano rhythm in the beginning and to hear the strings because if you go and you listen to a track by like frank sinatra or something or like dean martin and you listen to the instruments in the background the jazz orchestra you will hear this kind of music so yeah I, that's what i thought about it just loved it immediately loved it yeah this was a piece that i encountered in gravity rush 2 and i went to i guess the little sound selection soundtrack that i had it's not a complete recordings or anything like that but because um, i was so impressed by it i really wanted to listen to it in isolation um, just because i love just floating around this um, area within the game world and uh, it was not in that little selection of music, and I was really disappointed. And so I was uh, actually really happy when uh, Simon Sloth went ahead and uh, and pitched this one to us because I was just kind of dying to listen to this piece of music again. Um, like you said, it's very flighty, which is uh, perfect for Gravity Rush because that's a game all about kind of flying around. It has this kind of weightlessness to it. Mm. But at the same time, like it's not a... It's not a piece that easily falls to the background. Like it really is prominent and it makes its uh, presence known. It it has some really strong lead instruments. Um, It's kind of like, it's kind of aggressive in the way that it really kind of pushes to the front of the soundscape. But at the same time, it has such like a peacefulness to it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting because this part of the world in the game is kind of the... I kind of got the sense that it was like vacation homes for like the old money types. <laughs> and uh, even though a lot of the game is uh, kind of built around an art deco style, which would put it in more of like a, I don't know, 20s, 30s, 40s type of um, type of setting, uh, I think kind of evoking this 50s era of music does kind of put modern audiences in mind of people that have been uh, old, wealthy, and comfortable for as long as we could 
realistically think back. <laughs> wow, I didn't even know that. So, okay, so I guess my assessment of the 50s and 60s thing, I guess that hit home. <laughs> well, that, yeah, there might wow. be something to that. And wow. again, like we can only really guess at as to uh, what the composer was thinking at the time, but um, I think it's just a lovely piece of music. Uh, this is called, and I'm going to guess at the pronunciation here, <laughs> Le Havina. I'm going to say, mm -hmm. by Kohei Tanaka from Gravity Rush 2. piece of music staying within the borders of Japan is a, uh, another piece from, uh, from Square's Legacy. Uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce us to this piece from Legend of Mana. Yeah, so this piece is called uh, Southern City Popoda. I think I'm pronouncing that correct. And it is from uh, Legend of Mana. Uh, for those who do not know, Legend of Mana is like, ah, uh, it's got my heart. <laughs> it has my heart. Um, it's a uh, this particular piece, um, I think it, it really kind of shows uh, Yoko Shimomura-san's um, her playful side, um, because uh, the piece is very, it's very bright. It's very uh, even on the piano. Like if one were to play it, it's just very bouncy, you know. Um, and when you you mm -hmm. combine that with the, I guess this counter melody happening with like the the bells. It's a really bright sounding uh, instrument in the back. It's just very, and that in the accordion, like of all things, like mm. she has an accordion or an organ playing in here. And it's just really cool hearing everything together. So I wanted to share this because 
the the game Legend of Mana is uh it's pretty much a storybook. I have no other way of describing it. The world is 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 built and it's drawn and painted just like a storybook. Um so if you are a fan of like the classic days of JRPGs with the really bright sprites and hand-painted uh backgrounds and everything, Legend of Mana is going to be the thing for you. And the soundtrack is equally as vibrant and just so versatile is the best way I could put it. But um, yeah, that that is what this track is. is. It's very vibrant, very playful, and lots of fun. I'm really interested in this track from like a musical perspective because I'm not a stunning musician. Like, you know, I, I dabble in a couple of instruments, but not to the point at which I would be uh, confident to to perform anything, but uh, I, I would think if I was the pianist that was in charge of playing this piece of music and I was given the sheet music, I don't think this is how I would have chosen to play it, um, which is uh, because it it comes off as such like a such a light and happy song that the uh, the piano player in here makes a really bold choice, I think, and really kind of it feels like the piano is really bearing down on you and it's played very, um, the notes are played very hard, uh, but it feels, I mean, it feels right when it all comes together. And it's like, obviously this is somebody who knows what they're doing as opposed to me who, uh, who, you know, just kind of dabbles, but uh, it, it has that feeling of like a big dog that's excited to see you like running at you yes, or something where it's like, perfect. it's entirely good natured, <laughs> but there's a power behind it. That was perfect. <laughs> yeah. Or like uh, the type of music that you associate with like trains or something like that, because they have so much power behind them. But of course, like there's 0% malevolence in any of this. Um, it's just uh I don't know. It was it was unexpected when I first heard it, and uh, it it made me notice the music even more. And I really like that about it. So it's a it's a cool piece. Yeah, I, I man, those descriptions are <laughs> the, especially <laughs> with the train like that. I was I didn't even think about that because yeah, that's that's a perfect picture for it because it kind of has a rhythm that's chugging along, as it were. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because this area of the of the game is it's a harbor city um mm. so it's a place completely like it uh it's it's like a bay uh if you will um mm. surrounded by water very bright very blue and the it's kind of like i think they were trying to emulate sicily like you know uh-huh. how uh I, like if you see it it's like the it's almost like a contrast of like blue with like white buildings and mm. sand you know like light colored sand and everything like that and green that's how they painted this area of the game with this music playing in the background. And I think that's probably why they use that, why she used the accordion was to kind of mm-hmm. tap into that maybe. But yeah, man, that description that she gave is, that was great. <laughs> Cause I was like, yeah, this oh, I is think it. There's a, I think there's also like an element of the accordion that's always kind of intrinsically linked to the sea because of the sailors that would bring their squeeze boxes on board. So yeah, how that you uh, describe the place. Like, I think there's a lot of elements here that really come together. Give a listen to Southern City Pulpota from Legend of Mana on the PS1.
This next track comes from the forum. This is a request from Marco who says, Fist of the North Star, Lost Paradise, is an absurd game that has kept me entertained for hours now. It has some great music, but the developers appear to make you want to work for it. There are excellent driving tracks, but if you want to play Magical Sound Shower while you drive, you have to get the quest map that in turn lets you find the tape to play in your buggy. If you get there in time, it's the boss themes that stand out for me. Every boss you encounter arrives with their own theme that, as far as I know, is never repeated. Obviously, this makes each encounter feel special, and they just about make up for the fact that you will hear the regular battle music a seemingly infinite number of times. This is a piece called Receive You by Haruyoshi Tomita from Fist of the North Star, Lost Paradise, which is a... Fist of the North Star themed Yakuza game, essentially, um, by the same Yakuza team, uh, just came out um, last year, actually. Uh, it's uh, I, I don't really have any background with the Fist of the North Star series. I've only played one Yakuza game, so I can't speak from a, a large uh, pool of authority here, but um, it's... It, it's, it's a track that's unlike anything that you're likely going to hear today. It's a, a, you know, a Japanese track that is performed in the style of kind of classic heavy metal. <laughs> and I, I really don't know what else to say about it other than that. It's, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one.
see why he likes it. Performed with conviction. Yeah, that... that Can't fault him for that. No. <laughs> that was just fire. That's all I was hearing. <laughs> was just fire and flames. Japan in recent history has had kind of a really cool uh, flirtation with heavy metal going on, whether it's um, people from the American and British heavy metal scenes going over there and kind of getting a second win to their careers, or whether it's uh, Japanese acts popping up and performing their own kind of brand of heavy metal. It's been um, it's been interesting seeing a genre which feels so kind of intrinsically uh, American and British uh, to take root in another culture and uh, kind of find its own wings and have its own uh, kind of unique Japanese influences to it as well. You know, it's it's cool. Yeah, and. I mean, that, 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 I think that speaks to um, uh, something I had said uh, earlier, which is that the Japanese just under, they, they know how to emulate very well, mm-hmm. um, to absorb and emulate. Yeah, just hearing their take on rock. Um, like I remembered uh, watching Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood and which by the sound the, the soundtrack is amazing but uh there's a track in there called uso it uh, which uso means lie and uh, mm-hmm. their take on it it's like they tend to do things with rock you, you can tell that they're influenced by you know british and american uh rock bands right but mm-hmm. what they'll do with it next is always like so interesting like they'll fuse it with like they'll have a piano in there like you don't really hear mm, rock yeah, bands use yeah. piano and you definitely don't hear rock bands use strings like violins and violas and so on. Like, and they fused both of those together in, uh, in, in this particular track, Uso. And um, I'm trying to remember the name of the, the band uh, who, oh yeah, that's right. Their name is Sid. Mm. Yeah. But they do, they do metal too. And they just kind of hop all over the place. It's just, it's really cool to hear uh, someone else's take on a genre instead of just, I guess, the almost like the same, you know? Because, mm-hmm. like, when you, when I listen to a lot of rock bands, they sound different, obviously, but there are usual elements that maintain the same, like, they're usually the same instruments. They may add in, like, a synthesizer or something like that, or some type of effect that makes their song set apart but it's usually you know typically uh drums uh bass guitar rhythm guitar lead guitar uh singer it's typically what you get but that's the reason why i personally love the band evanescence because with evanescence you get kind of like this like it's just ep man i remember their album fallen oh my gosh that defined <laughs> my high school days like <laughs> fallen was like it was it was haunting and that that's not even a pun intended. That's actually a name of a track. <laughs> it's like this orchestral mix with rock and mm. opera and everything. It's just, oh, it's just dripping. Awesome. I just, man. So yeah, like I, it's, it's cool to see how everybody decides to take a genre into their own hands. You know, personally, I, uh, I love the, whole heavy metal space, whether it's the kind of driving guitars of uh, American thrash metal or whether it's the orchestras and the screams of uh, black metal from Norway, you know, it's, it's all, it's all a wide variety of uh, really impressive and really emotional stuff. 
uh, lots to see. And um, there's in particular, I should uh, point our listeners to, since we're kind of on the topic of metal from different um, different cultures, there's a wonderful website called Map of Metal, uh, which I think is just mapofmetal.com, although it's probably worth Googling it. Um, but it's it's basically, it kind of outlines all of the different like subgenres of heavy metal, but it lays it out uh, visually like it was a, like a map in an atlas. And it's just really interesting to see like um, each one has kind of a written description and little like trails that link one to the next. So you can kind of get a sense of like what evolved from what and what time periods they all took place in and, uh, and how the styles went on to evolve and to change as they are interpreted by different musicians and what were kind of the pivotal acts and stuff. And so, you know, I could spend hours on that website, just kind of like researching, like, you know, what does Irish metal sound like? And what does, um, you know, what does Christian metal sound like? It's all these different things you would just never expect. And so, um, it's, it's definitely cool. It's a, it's a good place to spend an afternoon. If, uh, if people are bored at a computer one day and want to learn more about the history of heavy metal music, <laughs> anyways, let's, Let's move on to something entirely different, but we're not letting up on the gas pedal because this next track is another uh, just real, uh, real head splitter from beginning to end. Um, it's, it's not metal, but it's got that same kind of energy to it. Um, this is a piece from Adventure Time, Hey Ice King, Why'd You Steal Our Garbage? Which was released for both the DS and the 3DS in 2012 um, by WayForward Technologies. It's one of the many Adventure Time games, which as I'm, um, I guess as I understand them, I've never, I've played demos of uh, some of the Adventure Time games before, but as I understand it from like the general consensus, they've all been pretty good but we're still kind of like waiting for the first adventure time game that's like really great but there's mm. so much imagination and so much personality in the series that like it feels like it can it feels like it can get there you know if, if, if any if any um uh, licensed series could translate well into a video game world uh adventure time would have to be up there um but yeah i just i love the energy of this piece i love how unrelenting it is and uh it's got another, like a lot of good positive energy to it as well. So um, it's a it's a fun one. <laughs> yeah, I uh, interestingly, uh, Adventure Time is first of all amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm actually a, a fan of the show. Um, why I'm I am no expert about it. Um, I just love how Adventure Time kind of comes off as this. Um, it's just silly and nonsensical, right? Uh-huh. But there's this underlying serious tone to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it definitely follows, like, I think it's seasons one through, like, three or something like that. Because mm-hmm. there's this thing that keeps happening where Finn, like, occasionally he'll pop into the future or something like that. And he'll see himself with like a metal arm. Hmm. You know, when you're just like watching this goofy show, you're just like, <laughs> you know, oh, hey, well, why does he have a metal arm? Dude, that's hilarious, you know? But then like you see it again and again and again and again. And it's like really subtle little moments. So what this means to say is Finn is going to lose his arm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and there's this like, there's this theme that's kind of underlying like, 
who Finn is and everything. And and I love how the creators uh, kind of like make you look for that mm. amidst the the silly antics and everything. But I will have to say, uh, Lemon Grab, he, he's probably one of my favorite characters. He's he's so uncouth. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm yeah. That this this uh this bit is gonna be pretty cool. This is from Gingertastic01, who says, Great Metroidvania with an incredible soundtrack. Any track from this album would be fitting for sound to play. Enjoy. Um, this is the second of three, I believe, um, tracks that uh, Gingertastic had requested 
um, all at once. Uh, we played one of them um, a few shows back. I don't have the number in front of me, <laughs> um, but uh, it comes from the Mummy Demastered, which was a game based around the 2017 Mummy movie, which um, I guess based on critical and fan reception was otherwise unremarkable, but the game itself, I think kind of outshone its uh, movie inspiration. Uh, you know, everyone that I know that has played the Mummy Demastered, which is another game by Wayforward Technologies to kind of stay in their stable, always kind of remarked on how just how how good of a game it is, how interesting a Metroidvania it is, and how kind of unassuming it was originally as a tie-in Tom Cruise movie video game. Uh, you know, just I don't think anyone is really expecting greatness from it, but uh, the fact that it presented a pretty cool uh, Metroidvania game, um, I think caught everyone by surprise in the best possible way. Uh, so this particular track is by Monomer, uh, which is the uh, stage jam of Gavin Allen from WayForward Technologies. When I listened to it for the first time, I had to like, just kind of take a breath after listening to like a, a <laughs> minute or so of it. Cause I was like, this is so, this, it just feels good. Like it kind of thrusts you into this, this, almost like mysterious sci-fi but fantasy kind of just realm and i've seen the movie um you know i think the thing about the film just to touch on that really quick is that what they were trying what they were trying to set up i think when you when you go about creating a project whether it's a game or a film or whatever and you're doing it so obvious to to set up a world if you put too much energy and time into that you you take away from like the title itself and the story itself and i think that's what the month the 2017 i believe um that that version of the mummy that's what it lacked i feel um it i appreciated it for what it was you know because like i'm all about like fantasy and i love world building don't get me wrong with this is something that I feel belongs in a game. Funny story. Like I didn't know there was a game for it, but it belongs in a game because it it's there's so much story to be told. There's so many elements um, that I feel that they tried to cram all of that into a film. And we're assuming that it was going to be successful so they could go on and do whatever else. But I, I'm actually sad it didn't do well. Not because of the fact that it was an amazing movie, but because of what they were seeking to accomplish. I would have loved to have seen where they took it, you know? Yeah, I I really like I really like the classic kind of universal monsters. And I'm really actually into the idea of doing a kind of shared universe between all of those different things. Because, you know, I love the the Marvel stuff is really cool, but it would be great to see something that kind of big and interconnected and kind of ripe with uh, with mystery and lore and stuff, but done in different genres other than just like kind of action superhero-y type of stuff, which is which is great. But, you know, there's just room to explore outside of that. And for something to, uh, for somebody to come in and say like, okay, how about that? But like a horror movie version, like that's, that's pretty cool, actually. Like I'm into that. <laughs> oh, I am too. Um, I, man, uh, mm-hmm. Van Helsing. I don't, have you seen that film? Yeah. Yeah, but the thing I think the thing with this movie and with uh, Van Helsing and and some other times this has been tried they've tried to do this before is that uh, they try to make these kind of big uh, crossover movies into 
action movies because those are the genre that make the most sense for crossovers. Uh, you want like big spectacle and stuff, but I don't really think that plays to the strengths of the Universal Monsters. I agree. The only other like crossovers I can think of between them, like Monster Squad and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, are all like um, comedies. And so, you know, I, I just I don't know if we've seen like a good like crossover straight horror other than maybe like Freddy versus Jason. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, there was that. I uh, actually kind of enjoyed that movie, actually, uh, for mm -hmm. its time anyway. Yeah, sure. But yeah, I fully agree with you, Ryan. Like, I think that, and I guess that kind of speaks to what I said previously about, like, you taking your time with that title, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think that if they, like, if they started with a character and they told the, the character of the story, uh, excuse me, the story of the character and they focused on whoever that, that individual was to kind of get this backdrop. And then you then like toward the end or something, you introduce something that's reminiscent of one of the other like monsters in that in the universe. Like, yeah, I think that you would have something instead of like trying to make the story about this person and this monster. Mm -hmm. Like, I mentioned Van Helsing because I personally liked about that movie. I'm not saying that it was, like, amazing. I know that, it, <laughs> that there are people who don't like it. But what I liked about it was the fact that there was a story being told. You know, like, Dracula kept calling uh, Hugh Jackman's character Gabriel. And, and it's mm -hmm. like, what the heck? Why is his name Gabriel? And, like, at, at first you're just kind of like, oh, Gabriel, whatever. But then there are these illusions that keep getting made to him. Like it was like the angel Gabriel. And you're just like, right. wait, yeah. hold up, wait a minute. But it's like, hold up. It's like, it's this moment when I was watching it and I was like, okay, pause. What does that mean? Like, I need you to break that down for me. <laughs> and it's like, I would love to have seen uh, a backstory first before just diving into everything that we already know, Dracula, Frankenstein, everything like that, like give the story of the character, help us to fall in love with their story, then move on to tell, you know, and it doesn't have to be like a, an action superhero kind of thing. Um, and I think a series that kind of touches on that, which I only saw a brief clip of, it was a uh, Hemlock Grove, I think. It's like really dark though, like <laughs> really dark. Um, but I think they set out to do that because I know that they kind of have a shared monster universe in there. And from what I've gathered, it was a pretty successful series. So I, I don't know beyond that, but uh, I'm just letting you know that Ryan, if you hadn't heard of it, that you might be interested in that. Oh yeah, I'll check it out. Uh, to go on a complete tangent, like, you know, I think that... Uh... I think part of the problem is that like these characters are viewed as being kind of properties first and contextualizing the stories as like an afterthought almost, because mm. I think like the, the world right now is so ready for like a good retelling of the Dracula story because yes. we're at a point where society is so kind of like stratified along, um, along lines of economic, you know, the haves and the have nots and the, uh, you know, because essentially Dracula emerged at a time where the Industrial Revolution was kind of killing off the last of uh, feudalism. And um, and so, uh, you know, it was a story about 
this kind of old money count that ruled over part of uh, kind of an older nation that was literally, you know, sucking the life out of the people, out of the poor people that his uh, dominion presode over. And he was um, eventually taken down by the tools of industrialization of, uh, you know, using uh, trains to cut off his, uh, his transport across um, among the ship and using a telegram to communicate among multiple members so that they can kind of coordinate their effort to take out Dracula. And, and you know, it's just, there's something about this character who's evil because he's feeding on those who have less than him. And there's something about these, this character that is, is sinister because he's protected by polite society rather than being like a physical threat and a physical presence himself that, uh, that can speak to 2019, but um, you know, maybe, maybe someday. But I just I feel like these days the way that they would take another Dracula movie is to just make him like a superhero and to make him like an antihero. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's fun, but yeah, there, there's a story to be told there as well. <laughs> the whole thing is very meta in terms of the times that we live in, and um, I think you really touched on some really strong points about the political landscape that we're in. And it's interesting because uh, they've actually, when they when they uh, uh, made Dracula Untold, they essentially did exactly what you were just describing. Um, I'm not sure if you've actually seen that or not, but uh, it was everything you said. Uh, Dracula, anti-hero <laughs> kind of thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think that uh, the just to kind of add to the tangent, I guess, is... We're in the time of like heroes, the resurgence of, you know, this idealistic man and woman. We're kind of in that time period. Uh, and that's what's popular. That's why Marvel has taken off. That's why DC's, you know, jumping into the, to the fray. People want that for one reason or another. And I feel that it, it speaks to the topics that you, you brought up, you know, uh, this divide between the have and the have nots. And and the desire for justice, you know, because um, like you could take, a, 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 you know, some of these heroes and it'll be just like some like Shazam, for example. I, I saw that movie just like maybe a week and a half ago or something like that. Shazam's a kid who is in the foster system. He's given power by a wizard and he is someone who's in that marginalized group of or not marginalized, but like. The majority, the have-nots, right? And it's kind of showing how he has this power and what he decides to do with the power. You know, meanwhile, the the enemy, the the enemy character, he comes from this like wealthy family. You know, like his his, his father is the owner of a corporation. So I think that there's something to be spoke, you know, mm. to said like said to that, uh, and that that correlates with what you were saying, like. Um, it, it's I, I do wish that we would get more profound stories like where the writers actually take their time and they show like all these different aspects. I, I, I really wish that we had more of that. Yeah, this is uh, I mean, we can go on for, for hours about, about yeah. this kind of thing, but I feel like we're walking a little bit away from uh, from the game. Let's uh, let's listen to some music this is from the Mummy Demastered. Thank you. 
next piece of music is um, is one that uh, one that you've arranged. So I think who better to introduce it than you? <laughs> so this uh, is a arrangement that me and my friend Jordan Chin we co-produced. And um, essentially going into it, like the moment that we were told that we were doing an arrangement album for Final Fantasy IX, you know, I immediately knew exactly what track I wanted to uh, arrange. It's a piece by um, Nobu Uematsu, and it's called Breaking Through the South Gate. I messaged Jordan and I was like, dude, like, are you, are you, do you want to work with me on this track? He's just like, he's like, yeah, man. Yeah. 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 Let's, let's, uh, well, but what did you have in mind? I was like, hey, let's, uh, let's make this a battle theme, you know? Cause like during this part of the, during that part of the game, it's a, it's a chase. It's a chase on, um, two airships. So the whole breaking through the South gate is, uh, the main characters are trying to escape and they're being pursued by, enemies let's just say i don't want to spoil anything for anybody like while they're going through this this gate they're they're on an airship the other enemies are on uh, the enemies are on a uh, airship and they're pursuing them through this long tower tunnel thingy and uh it's really like a a, a desperation kind of thing uh like you know they're they're desperately trying to get away um and they encounter all of these dangers and you can hear that in um and Nobu-san's uh, uh, orchestration and arrangement. And so, like, I I guess wanted to approach it from the angle of what if they turned around and just fought? Like, <laughs> what if they didn't run? What if they turned around? And so, you know, Jordan immediately asked me, okay, so, like, how, how are we going to go about doing that? I referenced a uh, an anime called um, My Hero Academia. Funny story, we're talking about heroes and stuff. Um, and the composer... Uh, he has this gift of like creating this like uplifting, energetic, like battle type tracks or whatever. And um, so one of the pieces that he made for that show uh, or the anime was called You Say Run. And I looked at, you know, I not looked at him, but I, I typed it up. I was like, Jordan, let's You Say Run breaking through the South Gate. Eh, eh, eh. <laughs> so um he did some research and he was like yes let's do this and so we did it so the whole thing was we wanted to combine rock and orchestra and synth stuff because you know Nobuo Uematsu is an amazing legend and genius and he has done that all the time so we were like let's do it so that's what we did um and so um this is a part of uh the um the Adelon arrangement album from Materia Collective and uh this is an arrangement by Jordan Chin and myself. So my thoughts on this one is that it's got of course like a kind of combative energy that uh that you were talking about there. It's got um these really great instruments that all kind of clash very violently uh to kind of give this very like exciting sense of what's happening. But at the same time like it's it has like almost a uh, kind of an inscrutable emotional feeling to it. Like there's there's parts of it that feel very hopeful, kind of like when you get the the leg up in a battle and you feel like, oh yeah, I've got this. And then there are points where it feels where it feels scared and it feels uh, you know like it's it's playing the defensive. And so I feel like it does like a good job of giving kind of a back and forth and, and more of like a narrative arc of, of what's happening here. Uh, instead of just being like one kind of 
flat through line all the way through. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's Nobu-san. Like he's uh, <laughs> he's amazing. I, I've and the un, like I had to orchestrate like mm-hmm. the piece from listening to it, and that was uh, <laughs> that was no small undertaking. Uh, <laughs> he's wow. Uh, yeah, that he's uh, he's a legend for a reason, man. Like I. Because as I was like going through each of the parts, I was like, man, like it was kind of like I got a, a glimpse into his mind by mm-hmm. uh, reorchestrating everything. And I was just like, wow. But, you know, I was like, OK, well, we've got to we've kind of got to put a little bit of our own fingerprint into, you know, fingerprints onto this. So, like, how do I do that? Like, how do I add anything to what he's done? And so we did little things. Like we added a solo into the track because the original piece of music is only a minute and a half long. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is like two minutes and fit. it's almost three minutes long. So um, the beginning of it, um, I took the melody. Uh, I took like one of the melodies he came up with and I kind of just expanded on it a little bit. Um, so the beginning string lines and everything like that, uh, and that progression and stuff, that was something that I kind of like, I guess quasi wrote or wrote whatever. Um, and then the ending, um, the build up to the ending, we just added a little bit more tension to the, to the build and, um, and stuff like that. So, you know, we did like little things where we could and Jordan, he, you know, after like listening to, to, you know, Nobu San's music for so long, he immediately knew exactly like, what kind of guitar riffs to throw in there. Hmm. Uh, so like, this is one part that you'll hear and he's like, he's kind of like playing a counter melody. Um, it's like, I don't know how to, I don't want to sing it cause I'm, I can't sing and it'll sound horrible, but um, <laughs> he, uh, you'll hear it within like the first, I guess, minute where he comes in with the guitar. It was like when he sent the, the file to me, I was like, dude, this is, that is so good <laughs> oh man so it was, it was really fun to to do this whole thing um and like i said it jordan's uh he's a pleasure to work with uh he's, he's got a a great gift for music and and everything and like i said he's he's a, he's a great guy easy to work with like you know we were we were working under like ridiculous time constraints and he's dealing with his day job i'm dealing with mine we were like how are we gonna do this hmm. So uh, just to hear it finished and everything, I, I listen to it sometimes. I'm just like, we we did that. That's we did that. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. I love the um, the solo as well. How it's almost kind of like a break from the action in a way. Like that feel the solo to me uh, feels like the moment when the characters are kind of like standing in the wind, looking cool. <laughs> yeah. It. Oh man. It's funny. We thought about that. We were like, oh, yeah. dude, we need to <laughs> we need to break away from like the intense, epic orchestra stuff. Like we just yeah, because you're going to build it even higher at the other end. Yeah, yeah. So it's funny that you like picked up on that. I was like, okay, mission accomplished. Somebody got it. <laughs> uh, well, anyways, this is Battle at the South Gate, an arrangement brand new for Eidolon. For fans of Final Fantasy IX, um, which you can uh, hear now as a part of the uh, Materia Collective's newest newest album. Yes, we newest. literally just newest. released uh, July Great. 30th. Yeah, brand new. 
have one piece of music to listen to yet today. Um, but before we do that, we'd like to encourage everyone to go over to our forum at canonrinse.com slash forum, where you can request your own favorite pieces of video game music for us to play in future shows. As a few of our members, our forum members have done today, uh, thank you again to those who have sent in those tracks. Really excellent selection. Um, yeah, excited to play them. Uh, you can also tweet us at Kane and Rins. Uh, we have a Patreon. We have a Facebook. You can find us in all of those places at Kane and Rins. We have a few other podcasts on the network. We have Kane and Rins on Mondays. That's our main podcast where we uh, where we give um, some kind of history and uh, really in-depth explanation of individual video games every week. Uh, those come out on Mondays. Uh, we have the Sausage Factory, which comes out on Fridays, and Playwright, which is a podcast that I host with Ryan Quintel, that comes out on Thursdays, which is all about creating brand new video games uh, from uh, from nothing. Uh, it's always uh, always wacky and fun. Tune in on Thursdays. Anyways, I wanted to uh, pay a very special thank you to our returning guest, friend of the show, Joe Sua. Uh, would you like to direct anyone to any of your work? We've heard uh, just recently of that uh, Eidolon album and heard a track off of that. But if there's anything else that you would like to uh, point people towards, projects you're really proud of, or even upcoming stuff that you're interested in uh, getting some more idols towards, that would be a great time to do that. Okay, I appreciate it, Ryan. Um, well, I am still in the process of uh, producing my first album. Be on the lookout for that. Um, I don't have a definitive release date as of this moment, um, but look for that, I guess, within the next uh, 12 months. And in addition to that, um, if any if anyone is interested in, in checking out uh, my original music, uh, you can find that at soundcloud.com forward slash J-O-E-S-U-A. Uh, again, that's forward slash Josua. And uh, I also, for fun, I do, uh, I put together videos and show a little bit of my comp uh, composition process uh, on my Instagram. And that's Instagram.com forward slash J-O-E-S-U-A. Again, that's forward slash Josua. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Um, yeah, it'd be great to, uh, you know, please feel free to reach out to me. I, I like to chat. I like to uh, you know, connect. So, uh, if you want to shoot me a message on either of those mediums, I'd be glad to talk with you. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks again for taking out some more time. Uh, it's been really fun chatting with you. And of course, you know, I had such a good time the first time around that I thought it would be, be fun to have another chance to sit down and, and shoot some music back and forth with you. Oh no, the pleasure is mine, Ryan. Uh, appreciate you for inviting me back to the show and, to just just nerd out like <laughs> that's always <laughs> that's, that's always do. a treat for me you know so um thank you so much for sure this last piece of of music that we're going to listen to today i put at the very end uh because i uh i don't know if i really i don't know if i really like it <laughs> uh that's uh that's quite the intro in it um so this is a this is a piece of music that i've produced uh this is uh, from the history of video game music uh, project that you know I've been working on and debuting on Sound of Play, usually kind of once a month for the past um, for the past few months, and uh, in that we go back through video game history and just kind of like highlight some of the interesting music that has come out um, in that year. 
to kind of give you like an audio soundscape of what that year sounded like in video game music history. And um, this time around, I decided to, well, last time, just recently on Sound of Play, I debuted the mix for 1986 you can find on our website or you can find on our YouTube. We have a video of that as well um, with a bunch of uh, excellent chiptune music from the year 1986. And uh, kind of my plan was to do every year from 1980 up until the present and then maybe like one one mix of pre 1980s stuff uh, that can just kind of all fall into one fall into one mix there. Uh, but uh, 1980 being the first singular year, uh, the earliest single singular year that I was planning on featuring, I uh, thought, what is this going to look like? Let's give it a try. Since I'm already kind of in practice with doing the chiptune stuff from the 1986 mix, how is this one going to fall together? And um, I was really uh, you know, there were a lot of there were a lot of good games that came out in 1980, but a lot of them didn't have music or sound of any kind yet. And mm. so, I was kind of up against a rock and a hard place uh, <laughs> trying to search out, you know, these soundtracks or anything to represent these games, and really kind of coming up shorthanded. You know, so whereas most of these mixes can exceed an hour, uh, this one came to less than five minutes. Um, all together with um, with some of the music, but you know there is some really significant stuff in here. There are some really, really, really early, like the first uh, video games that sampled voice samples. There's um, a couple pieces that are very recognizable and still frequently played today. I mean, this is very, very early video game stuff, and so it definitely has a sound to it. I will. Warn that it's a little bit more abrasive and a little bit less, uh, say, musical. It's a little bit more kind of sound effect driven than previous mixes that I've done. So if that's not what you're into, that's why I put it at the end. You can go ahead and skip it if you want. But um, yeah, if you are curious about the year 1980, which is a long time ago now, and what it sounded like, uh, then this is a handy little mix to (laughs) put it all together. Um, all in all, there are 41 games represented in this mix, cut down significantly from the list of games that I had identified, just because, um, again, so many silent games or games without recognizable soundscapes uh, that uh, just didn't work in a, in a purely audio format. So, yeah, but I, I think there's still stuff to learn here. Um, but, yeah, I'll, I'll just say, going into it, expect it to be a little bit more atonal, a little bit more sonically aggressive than previous mixes. So mm-hmm. um, it's just for, for the enthusiasts, which is why it's at the end. But anyways, I will uh, leave that with you. That is 1980 in video game music.